Jerry, you ever think your house was designed by a monkey? Yes. That's because it was. What is happening, you beautiful bastards? Welcome back, you beautiful bastards, to another week. I don't know what the fuck we're doing here. Jerry, Jerry, what are we doing? Uh, well, like usual, we got a cool guest coming on. He's a, I don't want to call him Australian, but he's in Australia. <laughs> he is in Australia. Isn't he from Jersey? He is. He went from one hellhole to another. <laughs> Different reasons to hellholes, though. Yeah. Well, in Australia, everything wants to kill you instead of just the people. That's true. That's true. And the um, yeah. we're changing up format a little bit this week. If you guys couldn't tell, uh, we're, we're dropping the news for now. It's not, if, if you really enjoy this segment, it's coming back. Don't worry about it. Um, it's just going to be in another format. Yeah. So, uh, we we're making some changes to the structure and kind of making that its own thing in the future. So it's going to come back. You guys are still going to be able to listen to it, but in every episode going forward, how we're going to kind of structure the the new segment at the beginning is really just going to be like our takeaways for the episode, what you guys should be looking out for, things like that. Because more and more we're noticing when we're doing it, especially we're pre-recording things and we're noticing more and more that afterwards we're having questions, afterwards we're having thoughts about the, the conversations we're having and hopefully we can bring them up so you guys can think about them during the show or we're going to see what your thoughts are and bring them up after the show. Um, and it's not that we didn't like the news, just we thought it would suit better in other places. I love the news because I just like making fun of everything. But that being said, uh, this episode was pretty cool. Uh, not really what I expected. I guess I, don't, I didn't really expect anything going into it. But I did find after we were done with that episode, I really want a passive solar house. <laughs> uh, I kind of realized that my house is passive solar already. Uh, not perfectly. Because I don't think anyone... My house is built in the 60s. No one designed it that way on purpose. No. Um, but a lot of... like I think While he was talking, I realized a lot of the features of my house kind of are already included in that. And I realized a lot of the features of my house completely suck. <laughs> well, yeah, you know. Jerry, who are we actually talking to this week? So this is a guy named Keith Hutchings. And he runs the Comfortable Home Project website. And we're going to have some uh, show notes for you guys to check out what he's up to. But he'll be the perfect guy to tell you what he does. So why don't we roll right into that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How's that? I've just kind of guessed. What do you think, Andy? It's fine for me, but I'm deaf. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, you yeah. <laughs> so you want me? Well, I will be waving my hands around a lot. So you're fine. You're fine. I, I can still <laughs> amplify on my own, my, my computer. I should probably try. Yeah, the wonders of industrial deafness. Yes, yes. (laughs) Yeah, I actually, I can't say I'm deaf, but I definitely struggle to hear certain things. Like my wife talking. I know she's saying something. I can hear it. I just don't know what the words are. There's a really funny thing about that. Very much aside from podcasting. They did a (laughs) test with a whole bunch of old farmers up in the wheat belt here. They sent a van out and did a whole bunch of hearing tests. And they found all these guys who, you know, spent their whole lives working on the backs of tractors. They could hear in the ranges where their mates deep farmer voices were but they couldn't hear in the higher range. The noise damage mm-hmm. yeah. damaged the range where the female voice mostly operates. So that's, that's a, not just a myth. 
it, yeah, that's what it I'm actually to. yeah it's not just spousal deafness it's actually <laughs> the damage so yeah yeah andy and i actually both have to uh get our hearing checked once a year at work right and, uh so they show it to us and the higher pitches I thought Andy's is probably the same, but in the higher pitch range, my hearing dips. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah, it's science. Uh, And um, for me, it's, it's the, they call it the figure ground. It's the noise separation. I went to this event recently and there was basically a bridge between two buildings and some bright spark had decided to put glass doors all down either side of it and turn it into an enclosed meeting space, but poured concrete ceiling and glass walls, not a single soft furniture in in the whole place, put 200 people in that room. It's awful. And at one point I was talking to a guy who's very soft spoken and I just said, look, we have to go outside because I cannot hear a word you're saying. Soft spoken, (laughs) fairly strong Asian accent. I'm getting nothing. <laughs> Even the waving of the hands was not coming through. That's so yeah. Mass now. Cause I can't read lips. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's something you might want to work on. That's yeah, easily fixed. Reading the masks. Yeah. Yeah. We actually, I don't think we realized how much we read lips. I oh, realized I mean, I that <laughs> watching foreign films that are dubbed in and it's like, I can't hear what they're saying because their lip movements don't match or their voices. Badly timed yeah. video. I thought you said mass. <laughs> like Bruno masks. Yeah, mass like Catholic mass, like yeah, oh, geez, yeah, no. yeah. That's that. Uh, and then you said, yeah, I can't read lips, and it was like, I, I'm catching yeah, the, up here. The I'm Catholic catching mass up here. I can't hear because of the mass. <laughs> yeah, I was a little slow on the uptake there on that one. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, I just I, thought it was hilarious. That's why I told you. It's like mask. He can't understand the priest. Just sit in the front row. Nope. Never. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm the same. Quick question. Who's your audience? Sure. What what kind of do you have an age range idea of who you. So the uh, the strongest demographic group for our audience is uh, about 24 to 44. Yep. But our are the age range is really from about 15 to 70. And uh, it's more men than women. Not significantly oh, so. But uh it's it's really worldwide too. How many how many countries, Andy? Is like twenty two or something like that now? Yeah, I don't. I stopped paying attention. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh right, and that's scientific. interesting because the primary take up of these kind of houses is middle aged women. Oh, that's where the oh, interest really? is. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, the men go, I want to buy a house and I want to be able to sell it, and the women go, I want to buy a house and I want to be comfortable. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. We'll see if we can bring the the bring the boys around to the way. I know. I mean, over. Well, we'll get into that in the episode. But I know a lot of the men I talk to, but it, they're all very mechanical, scientific. They're pretty game well, for it. We'll save that for the uh, the conversation yes. first. Let's, yeah, let's yeah. Sorry, we're Keith. having too much fun. <laughs> I know. All right, Jerry. Enough of that bullshit. What do we got going on today? <laughs> all right, today we've got a special guest. His name is Keith Hutchings from the Comfortable Home Project. Keith, thanks for being on the show. How are you doing? I'm great. It's 
little after eight in the morning here. It's just poured with rain recently. We're just heading into winter weather. And yeah, I'm having more fun than a grown man ought to be allowed to have. So <laughs> meanwhile, it's uh, springtime here at eight o'clock at night. Yeah, it's confusing, <laughs> isn't it? Now, it, it might confuse our audience to know that we are so far apart in time zones. Where are you right now? I'm in Perth, Western Australia. So you guys are on the East Coast of uh, America. And right. this is actually as far geographically as you can go and be on land in either direction around the world. Sweet. Which is how you deal with having a crazy family is just run <laughs> until if you run anymore, you will start getting closer to them again. <laughs> so obviously you don't sound Australian. Where are you from? I grew up in uh, northern New Jersey. Um, but I've lived here for 30 years now. So a little over 30 years. So if I talk to my American friends, they say, oh, you don't have much of an accent. But if I talk to Australians, they go, you have <laughs> still have such an accent. And, you know, I ring up my clients and their kids will answer the phone and they'll go, mom, there's some American on the phone. And I'm like, How do they know that? Because I forget <laughs> that I have this strange accent so yeah now this isn't really related to comfortable homes but why why do you not have an australian accent after 30 years because i'd be i'd be on board with trying to have one new jersey sucked it out of him before he left <laughs> there's a funny thing it's i don't have the australian accent which i can't imitate without offending everyone but the there are a bunch of words that were used differently. So I went back to America about seven years ago. My mother passed away. I spent like six weeks there cleaning up her estate. And I think everyone I ran into thought I was retarded, <laughs> brain injured. We're not supposed to use that word anymore. But um, in my case, it sort of was because I would go, Oh, yeah, just put that in the, oh, shit, they don't call it boot, they call it, put it in the trunk. Or, you know, <laughs> would you have a, it's not torch, it's flashlight, flashlight, yes, would you have a flashlight? And then I got back here and I was the maintenance person for a school. And I would say, oh, just just ring me on my cell phone. And the kids, because they watch all American TV, they were like, he said cell phone. It's so cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not the accent. It's the words. It's the translation. So, so yeah, so you become the, a bit of a local celebrity there. Yeah, I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mostly in my own mind. Yes, <laughs> that's the most important place. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> so. Uh, you have something called the Humph Comfortable Home Project. Did you start that here in America or when you went to Australia? No, I started, you know, when I was in America, I was working as a theater tech. So okay. uh, as a freelancer in New York, had nothing to do with housing. Houses were just a place you went to. It was only coming here. I decided about six years ago that kind of everybody has to do something about climate change and, right. and that my thing would be to change the way we build houses here. So it's something that 
change. And, and part of that comes out of the fact that working as a handyman in the last four years, I've been in something like 800 to a thousand houses. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of an expert on how not to do housing. <laughs> I, I, I say to people, I have written a PhD, except for I haven't really on how not to do housing, because I know more about how not to do housing than anyone in Australia, because I've been in so many houses, you know, a builder might build 15 houses, a custom builder might be build 15 houses a year. An architect might design five houses a year. I've been in a thousand and most of them are shit. I was going to say, <laughs> Gary and I have both worked on mechanical things and we usually curse out the engineers. <laughs> Well, yeah, of course, because, you know, that's the thing is most architects, most engineers have never actually held a wrench in their hand. Nope. Well, that was uh, the biggest thing I paper. ran into. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's another that's a whole nother rabbit hole. I was trying <laughs> to convince I knew somebody who was the head of the, the architecture department at a local university. And I, he was in the process of rewriting their undergraduate degree. And I was trying to convince them that every student going through the program should do a semester of working on a Habitat for Humanity house before they where they're actually swinging a hammer and driving in nails and yeah. screws and things. I didn't That's a great succeed. Idea. Yeah, no, you'll, yeah. you'll never change their mind on it. But uh, being in that many houses, you basically were in the service industry for uh, the building industry. Yeah. So you get to see you get to see what happens when people do things the wrong way, where if they do it the wrong way, they never see it again. It's your problem after that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just like going into a house where it's just like one of the houses I worked in, the clients left for the day and just left me in there. And of course, because they weren't going to be home, they turned the air conditioning off and very quickly it got up. It was, you know, maybe a 40 degree day outside celsius not freedom units and <laughs> inside it very quickly got up to 50 degrees but they're up on top of a ridge overlooking a river they're set back from the river the wind is howling through there but the house is not designed in any way to take advantage of that breeze to pull the heat out of the house so they are running air conditioning 24 7 while it's cooler outside in the summer afternoon and yeah, then and they, they're fighting everything all the heat absorption from the sun and everything else as well yeah they just freeze their tits off all winter because the house isn't designed to absorb bring in the sun and heat up the mass of the house so and that's i, I guess it makes sense how that kind of steered you in the direction of uh passive solar which is something you're big on and I used to be in the HVAC industry doing uh, everything from residential all the way up to commercial and industrial. So I had a similar experience to you where I get to go in after the fact and see what everybody fucked up and the, the consequence of it, really. So that was what got me into passive solar. But I don't, there's a lot of people that have never even heard of it, even though a lot of them have actually seen a, a passive solar house. 
Oh, it's, you know, what I keep saying to people is climate change is a marketing problem, not a technical problem. We know all the solutions and anybody who's been in a passive solar house says, I want to live like this. But 90% of the people I speak to, I talk about passive solar, they go, is that like solar panels? And I think, right. so what wow, is we really solar? fucked the branding. <laughs> These days I'm talking, I'm trying to introduce the phrase high performance homes because I basically polled a whole bunch of marketers. We need to get the phrase echo and sustainable and all that green out of, because there's a whole bunch of people who read those words and they say, yeah, that translates to them to twice as expensive and half as good. But oh yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, it, it, if so, there are people in the world who are so competitive that when their energy bill arrives, if it's bigger than it was the month before, they get really excited. They feel like they've won. Are you I like the that? Opposite. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I, I, I've never I'm met good. anyone like that, but I believe those people exist. And if oh, yeah. you're not like <laughs> one of those, then, and you're building a house and you're building it. So then it will require all sorts of energy. Then that doesn't make sense. If you don't enjoy paying your electricity bill, then the best thing to do is build a house that's going to be designed to be warm in the winter and cool in the summer without, with minimal additional energy. And that's what passive solar is really all about. So what is passive solar though? Oh, good. Yeah. I'm glad you asked this question. This is one of the problems is we talk to the converted. So at its most simple it is passive solar is orientating the house so that the sun comes in in the winter to warm the mass of the house. So the concrete floors, walls, something Mm -hmm. that's got, you know, beef to it so it can absorb that heat. Mm -hmm. And then through the night, it then radiates that heat back out again. And then in summer, you want to keep the heat out of the house. So, you know, covering the windows so that the sun isn't coming in them and opening up the house so that the breeze can come in through the house and flush the house out or like natural convection. So I work in houses where they have no opening windows on the second floor. So it, You know, I've got friends who have to abandon the third floor of their house every summer because it gets so hot up there that, you know, human beings can't survive. So that's what passive solar is. You know, we go into all these stuff, but nobody wants to hear that. I I understand it. It's yeah, but it's building, it's designing the house. So Passive solar is a design solution to housing rather than where solar panels or something like that is a technical solution. And technology will always eventually fail. The solar panels, you know, people say, well, why don't I just bung a bunch of solar panels? And then the other side of that, you could put a whole bunch of solar panels on your house to eliminate the energy cost. Mm. But then the way we deal with that, um, just cover your ears, Jerry, as a HVAC technician you don't want to hear this right now (laughs) but what we do is we enclose the house we close it up and then we refrigerate the stank Mm. 
So <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, one of the question I've been asking people is if you came home of an evening and you found that your teenager had put their gym shoes in the fridge, would you be happy? Or would you be seriously disturbed? But that's what we're doing with our houses. We're closing them up and then we're refrigerating everything that's nasty in it. The cooking smells, the mildew, the dampness. We're just making it cool and comfortable. It's true because like I've I've had central air for a while. And once you have central air, you're spoiled. And you're going to use it like on days you don't even really need to. It's just the house is a little bit warm. But if you open up all your windows, you'd be fine. Well, as yeah. as an HVAC guy or a former HVAC guy now, I can tell you 100% air conditioning is disgusting. Okay. If, oh, most yeah, people, have, the- they never think about their ductwork, but your ductwork is just like if you crawled around in there and you had a compromised immune system, you're going to be dead in a week. Or you'll be able, you'll <laughs> yeah, be able yeah. to survive anything. Yes. Yeah. One, yeah. I wouldn't make a habit of crawling in there, but yeah. Great way to build up that immune system. Yeah. You, you're basically bringing a giant Petri dish into your house and often out like here in the summer inside my house, cause I don't live in a passive solar house. Uh, inside the house, I'll be boiling. But if I went outside, I'd be in a long sleeve shirt because it's, you know, like a flannel shirt because it's that cool outside. But because of the way my house is designed as an anti-passive solar house, the there's no way to bring that cool air into the house. It just doesn't flow Plus into house the house acting like a convection oven <laughs> yeah yeah it's great yeah <laughs> my my house well i have a theory you know as a scientist and as scientists you would understand this theory my theory is that our houses are designed by lizards <laughs> that no, it makes sense people. you're I thinking you lizards is this man insane no, but no. <laughs> You're, you're with me on this. Yep, yep. Our houses are designed to be hot in the summer and cold in the winter. Now, who likes that? <laughs> Lizards. They love it. It's, you know, 50 degrees inside the house all summer long, and then they hibernate in the winter, so they don't care. And it's like, that's the only logical explanation for the way we build our houses is Lizards. <laughs> That might give some uh, some strength to the uh, lizard Illuminati theory. Yeah, that's where I was, I was about to go. Yeah, the royal family—they're that's they're right. behind it all. Yeah, yeah. I wish. Shape-shifting See, we're, we're completely confused about that because yeah, I've never understood that one. <laughs> <laughs> we know we know what's wrong with uh, standard houses. I mean, I have a two-story cape myself, and in the summer, I don't even want to go upstairs, and it's no, no, no. really well insulated. So. Passive solar is a better alternative because it's it's naturally much cooler in the summer. So what what's the biggest difference between how my house is built, which is a two story cape and a passive solar house? Probably the biggest difference is orientation. Um, yeah. What most builders are doing is they have a set of maybe 10, maybe 20 different designs and you pick one out and then they plunk it on the block with no thought to where does the sun come from and where does the breeze come from? 
you know? Yeah. So I see a lot of what I call anti-passive solar houses. They're built perfectly backwards. Um, right. And so, so like a friend of mine had, she had taught herself enough about passive solar to have, well, she knew more about it than me. And so she went off to these volume builders. She found they had kind of a weird shaped block. She found a house that would fit perfectly on their weird shaped block. And all they had to do was flip over the design, do with a mirror image of what they were offering. And she would have had about an 80% passive solar house. Damn. So, it would, you know, massively better performance than if she built it the other way. And then an architect looked at that drawing and he just moved a few rooms around, kind of widened some hallways or maybe narrowed hallways. I don't really remember. And that would have given her like a 90% passive solar house, but the builder would have very happily built it perfectly backwards. So the way the drawing was done, it put all of the bedrooms down the northern side. So we're in the southern hemisphere. Everything's reversed. It's confusing. But putting so somebody, uh, you know, said you you point the main living rooms towards the equator to clear up that the sun towards. Yeah, sunward is the way. So. By putting the bedrooms down that northern side, they would have had a house that was the bedrooms when you go to sleep are really hot because they've heated up from the sun through the day in the summer. And then because you don't have big windows in a bedroom, there's very little sun coming into the house. So the house is freezing all winter. By flipping the drawing, you put the living areas down on that sunward side, get the sun in to heat up the floor. One of the interviews I did recently, the guy was saying he's got these on the northern side or the sunward side. He's got these big concertina glass doors. So the sun just pours in in the winter, warms up that floor he can open those doors up and he said his daughters come home and they just lie on the floor where the (laughs) sun comes in and that's where they hang out in winter because the floor is so toasty warm it's the most comfortable place in the house and you know circling back to the energy idea this guy put when they poured the concrete floor they put the tubes in for the subfloor heating Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they never spent the four thousand dollars to buy the heat pump because they don't need it that's cool the the house is just naturally warm enough so they you know they've got the capacity to do the subfloor heating and i'm really bummed by this because i love subfloor heating having been in one house in in north america that had it and was like oh the floor is toasty warm someday i'm gonna have a house with subfloor heating and now this guy's saying it's a waste of money you don't need it Uh, (laughs) i'm bummed yeah did i answer your question i tend to just crap around in circles no that's okay we don't mind um so i i understand putting your you want to put your living spaces on the sun side or the sunward side right makes sense so, and what would you do for, for, as far as for cooling effect is. So then that is a matter of 
having the house to be openable to the prevailing breeze in summer. So here in Perth, the prevailing breeze comes out of the southwest. So you combine the shape of the roof so that it and then where the the orientation of the doors. So I went into a house on we have a thing here called Sustainable House Day and I went into the house and we're going outside. It's the first day in so the end of September. It's the first really hot day. So it's about 30 degrees out. Somebody can translate that into freedom units. It's I've like forgotten. 90, I think, right? Yes, it's, it's, it's the first really hot day of the you know beginning of spring. And we're standing outside. We're talking. And. And he says, it's really hot out here. Should we step inside? We step inside the house. It's 10 degrees cooler inside the house. And I've got this howling gale blowing down the back of my neck. And I'm like, this fucker, he calls this a sustainable house. He's got a fucking air conditioner. And so I'm in full outrage. And I turn around there and there is no air conditioner there what i'm feeling is the breeze this is a it's an infill block so it's a, a battle axe where they built a house in the backyard and and did the driveway down the side and the house has been designed so that driveway and then the orientation of the front door creates a narrow opening and then the big sliding doors on the opposite side and in a way that I do not understand, the shape of the roof created an airfoil because when I stepped outside up to the street, there was no breeze. Yeah, they've, they've but created inside a this effect. guy's house. There was a tornado coming through. Yep. It works the same so way as a carburetor. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I knew you'd understand. That's why for your inlet and your small opening for your outlet. You have a Venturi effect and it'll increase velocity. Exactly. Nerded out on everyone, but there you go. <laughs> and so then the other thing, everybody's got to have a hobby. So then <laughs> the other thing is you're talking about your two story house. So then being able to enclose your staircase so that there's a door to close. So the heat from the downstairs doesn't go up to the upstairs. Uh, right. Um, and then, you know, so there are a lot of different. And then the other thing is keeping the heat out, the sun away from those windows. So a, what a lot of people do is they'll have shade cloth that goes like up in the summer and comes down in the winter so that, you know, what people are. So a lot of houses are built with longer roof eaves because the sun is higher in the sky in the summer and then lower in the sky in the winter. So the sun can come in under those roof eaves and in the winter and heat the mass of your floor. But what a guy was explaining to me recently was what you need to do is shade your house up to three meters away from the windows because if the sun is coming in just in front of your house and you've got something like brick paving that brick paving can be up to 20 degrees hotter than the 
ambient air temperature because it just soaks up the heat. And so then that brick paving or driveway or whatever is radiating heat into the house. So you want to keep that shaded so it keeps a bit cooler. So it's getting the breeze in, getting the heat out and keeping the heat from coming in and warming up the mass of your home. That's that's the summer so thing. Uh, 30 degrees Celsius is uh, 86 degrees uh, in freedom units. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's what they'll be known as on this show forever for, now from now on excellent of course yeah well we're redditors so we have to use these terminologies that's and we'll true. be thrown off the platform so so having a passive solar house takes a and i feel like they probably need to work on their the the name for it but uh it takes a little work like you're gonna have and there's things you're gonna have to do it's not just you're not just sitting there doing nothing you know, change your seasons, you're going to have to put out awnings or whatever else, like you're saying, to cool patio areas and everything that are within that. Th- you said three meters, I believe. The, yeah. Yeah. So. But it's not that's not a lot of work for. No, what you're getting out you of know, it. It, it is passive solar. There are ways of doing these things. You spend more money. They can be more, you know, automatic. There's a method called passive house, which is another way of doing this. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, but you know, it's, it's closing, you know, it's closing curtains during the day when you get up in the morning in the summer. So the sun can't come in. It's, opening curtains in the morning, in the winter and closing them at night, you know, there is some thought, but having said that I did interview a guy who had a house in an area called Bridgetown, which is South of Perth. I call it Fridgetown. It's consistently the closest, coldest temperatures in the state in winter here. It's inland. It's a valley. And he came up to Perth for a week and he went back to his house. So nobody was in the house. It was just all closed up. And he said the outside temperature was, you know, hovering around at night, one, two degrees Celsius. It's a fucking cold. cold. And (laughs) inside the house, it was 23 degrees. That's pretty good. Yeah, 23 yeah, degrees is. is kind of between 20 and 25 degrees Celsius. Yeah, is, those are the human temperature range, which is actually a really narrow band that we're comfortable in. And that's so, you know how you've been away for a while and you come back to the house and it's all been closed up. And in the summer, it's just boiling in there. Or you come back, you've been away for a week, you come back in the house in the winter, and it's freezing. Well, in North America, you have furnaces and things, but nobody has heating here. So you walk into the house, and it's just freezing. And then you spend two days trying to get some heat back into (laughs) it. His house was just, I mean, walk in, comfortable temperature. No energy had been you know, used yeah, he had a very like no efficient house. paid for. Uh, and 23 degrees. So. so is there anything? I mean, it makes great sense for when you're designing a house, right? Because that's the best time to do it. But is there anything people who aren't designing a house that could could implement it in their already pre-built house? I mean, besides uprooting? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, I'm not an architect 
and I'm, I'm not a building designer, there are lots of people who have done renovations on houses, you know, because there's a lot more existing houses and yeah, it is. There are some houses where it just doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. It's like the house is so wrong that it would be cheaper to bulldoze it and start again. There's probably plenty of those. Yeah, yeah. But then someone who's an experienced building designer can say, I can come in, you know, perhaps we replace all of your crappy old aluminium windows or timber windows that are really rattly and leaky with double glazing. I mean, my house has no insulation in the walls. So if we filled the wall cavities with, uh, you know, either the blow in cellulose or something like that, it would make a huge difference. Um, the, I mean, we have really crappy insulation in the roof. So even just insulating your roof is going to be a big improvement. It's, there are a lot of things, you know, double replacing your windows with double glazing is going to make a big difference, particularly in winter. Um, and, and will also make a difference between, because what happens with the single glazing is you get condensation collecting on the inside. And then that condensation will often be collecting below the windows, which can cause even more mold and mildew in your house, which you're um, then refrigerate, you know, enclosing and refrigerating. So yeah, yeah, shit that can kill you slowly (laughs) and painfully. um, And it hurts the whole time you're dying. And we're refrigerating it to make it nicer. Sorry, I do tend to get carried away, but anyway, um, (laughs) Yeah. So, yes, there are lots of things, you know, what you need to do is find somebody, even a builder who has experience in this area, which is why on the website we've set up a service provider list so that because I realized a lot of people are choosing their builders because it's a guy that they, you know, or their architect, whatever, because he's a guy that they met at the tennis club or they, you know. I, I find, I've always found it interesting the reason that people go like you'd think if you're having a builder come to your house and they're say they're doing a renov- renovation right. I've had this conversation with multiple different people. They typically they go with the cheapest one right because they don't want to spend all the money yet. Okay, makes sense. <clears throat> but I'll look at them and be like, if you're going to go buy a TV, you're going to buy the cheapest TV. No, they're going to buy a fucking expensive ass TV because they want a good one. So why are you buying a cheap builder who's building something you're going to live in? doesn't make any damn sense. (laughs) And then complain about, you know, shonky builders and all of that. They (laughs) suck. They're awful. Yeah, yeah. It's like. I know a guy who had a deck built and he had it redone three times because they couldn't get it right. And I said, yeah, you went with the cheapest one, right? Yep. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. You got what what you paid for. When you're getting something like that done, don't go with the cheapest person. I understand it sucks because it's expensive as fuck, but come on. Yes. Yes, exactly. It's, it's like put some time in researching and that's why, you know, people don't want to pay, you know, it's, if you get a building designer, what most people do, they're going to do renovations. They meet their mate down at the tennis club. He says, Oh yeah, I'm a builder. They go, Oh, okay. Do you want to come and quote on this renovation? I'm thinking of doing the guy rocks up. He says, Oh yeah, sure. We can just bung that spare room on the back or whatever. But 
you know, the value is in getting somebody in who has that experience and, you know, paying a couple of grand to a building designer who can go, you know, if you, while you're doing this, you make this wall a whole bunch of sliding doors. So you've got the glass to bring in the, you know, you're going to have a whole difference. If you enclose that staircase so that the heat isn't, you're not getting a chimney effect up to the second floor. Somebody who can actually think about those things and then you can make budget choices. Well, you also, you know? you're, you're saving in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. But it's more than the savings. I think it's beyond you know, yeah, the money is there, but having my family much healthier, first of all, they're in a comfortable temperature, which is better for their health. And then, you know, part of that design is designing a house so that it doesn't encourage mold and mildew to grow, which is really, really bad for us. And, you know, like I, I've got a client, they, the bathroom, all the kitchens and bathrooms in the house are down the south side of the house. So that roof that, you know, it's an A-frame roof that runs east, west. So the south side of the house never gets any sun. And the so he had his whole ceiling in his bathroom was covered in mildew. Um, basically I had to come in and rip the whole ceiling down in order to fix that because the house never gets any sun. He's got a teenager. So, you know, hour long showers and the whole thing. Ceiling fans, people. (laughs) Yeah. Well, most ceiling fans here in Australia, I don't know what they're like in America. They just go up and they drop, they pull the moisture up into the roof cavity. Yeah, yeah that, so, I saw that a lot when I was doing HVAC where people were dumping humid air somewhere that was, you know, it wasn't where it was coming from, but it was going somewhere was creating a situation for serious mold. And actually, in my, in my own house, I went out of my way to make sure they vented all the way outside. Yeah, that's if I'm putting a ceiling fan in for somebody, I kind of insist. Yeah, we need to get that out because what then what the kitchen ceiling fans do is actually worse because they'll just dump it up into the roof space and you're pulling all that sort of greasy air up and and it. It just puts out a gigantic neon sign all around your house, like Las Vegas, that says rodents welcome here. <laughs> you know, let's fill our house, the roof space of our house with grease <laughs> and food smells mm-hmm. and then be surprised when the rats move in. So, yeah, get it out of the house. Yes. In my own house, actually, the 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 south side all year i i've lived in my house three years now and i monitored it because i had a lot of moss on the back and i have to clean it like two or three times a year it has never in its entire life seen the sun yeah. and, and in fact my front of course being north i have one passive solar uh option in the front because i have the the full-size glass storm door so what i do is in the early morning uh, probably like 7 a.m to to 12 I can open the the big door and just have the storm door shut. And as long as it's sunny, the heat is pouring in through that door. Hmm. So that helps me in the winter. But in the summer, (laughs) in the summer, my God, is that terrible? 
Yeah. Yeah. So some shade sails out the front, something like that to keep that yep. sun out. You know, one of the things people do is they build like a pergola. Yeah. So like a frame, an open frame, and then they grow something like grapevines up it something that will drop all of its leaves in the the winter, but it will create that shade and a little kind of garden space. And if you really do it right, give you some food. Uh, I like that idea. Yeah. I love grapes. Peel me another grape, darling. Yes. (laughs) Mm. And you can even grow wine grapes. My neighbor did that for years. Yeah. Make up some grappia. So that's an idea that people could do that. You know, they're, they're not rebuilding a house or designing a house off the bat, but yeah, they can do exactly. That it's it it can be sometimes these marginal improvements that just make it a little bit better. You know, you put a pelmet on the curtains up at the top, so the heat, you know, your heat isn't pouring down through there. You know, put a, hel- a helmet on top of your curtains. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I'll translate into English. <laughs> um, you can see behind me, there's a curtains. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. if you just make a little box across yeah, like the top, just a timber thing, it just closes off that gap. Yeah. And because you've got that big gap there, the heat of the house is sitting up on the ceiling, comes across, hits the window and just uh, drops okay. down yeah. behind okay, there. I got you now. Yeah, sorry. It's, you know, like English it. is my second language. It's not nice to make fun yeah, of me. You know, I, I, I was following you for almost all of it. There were a couple times in there, but. Yeah, all it's just those you're putting helmets on your curtains. Well, yeah, yeah. As soon as you start talking about helmets, I was all done. <laughs> so, yes, the, yeah. so there are, you know, we, we've talked about quite a few things here that uh, people can do with their homes, but uh, on the more extreme end of things like passive solar, uh, this is well outside of my budget and probably not easy to do in America. But have you seen, uh, there's a documentary on Earthship style houses. Have you ever heard of those? I have. I haven't really looked into it too much. Some people are really keen on them. And I think they're really cool. I'm, you know, my focus is trying to get this idea out to the mainstream. Yeah. And I feel like mainstream people, you know, they don't have to be really. I mean, one of the ways that they build earth ships is by stacking walls of tires and then packing the the tires with soil. So it's very labor intensive, but it's the kind of thing you can get a bunch of people together and do over the course of a weekend. Right. But so it'll never you're never going to see one in the suburbs. You know, it's, no, they, they and, have a nice finished product, but it's very uh, it's a very eccentric house. But what they exactly. do with what they do with that, Grizz, if you've never seen one of these, I've never seen one. They they basically build a house into a hill, but they take oh, all, yeah, all of okay. these ideas, all, all this passive solar stuff. Mm-hmm. They choose the right hill on the right piece of property and they they integrate everything that we're talking about here yeah and so for passive solar to be really effective you want a lot of thermal mass in your house that's like concrete floors and stuff like that yeah yeah. well this whole house is thermal mass so the whole front of the house is all windows it gets hot throughout the day and the the floors are like 80 degrees and then by the time you wake up in the morning the floors are like 60 degrees because there's just so much mass to the house it's just a shit ton of Mm. concrete just shit ton of concrete and dirt. I mean, we got plenty of it. I know. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, and one of the things I saw that was really cool in one video I watched, they'd actually tunneled into the hillside all the way through to the other side and put that big culvert pipe. They were, oh, you yeah. know, yeah, foot and a half in diameter or something stuck that through the hillside. I, I don't know how they got I don't remember how they got it through. And that was the air intake into the house. So. Yep the air would flow through that culvert going through, you know, the dirt. So the subsoil temperature was a lot cooler. That, that particular video I watched, the house was in Arizona. So their issue, their biggest issue was cooling and they just pulled in this cool air. So, but, you know, again, I don't, give it a lot of attention because I'm trying to get a hold of the mainstream, you know, right. My hippie friends already know about this stuff <laughs> and they're, you know, but they're all broke as fuck. So they're, you know, <laughs> they're, they're not building these things unless they live out in the rural areas where they can do that. Um, well, but you know, it's kind of a problem, you know, in America, I don't know how it is in Australia, but it, a lot of people, uh, millennials coming up, aren't being. They can't afford houses. They're too damn expensive. Yeah, and absolutely. if they do afford a house, they're not redesigning it, unless they they bought Bitcoin or something or, or Doge. Well, you know that's a like those are what I realized when I started getting into housing was that there were a whole bunch of other issues. We start with a really broken system where housing is decided how housing has developed has been decided by the volume builders, the ones who, you know, have the big names that everybody knows and then the property developers and they're marketing us on what suits them because they make more money, the bigger the house is. Mm. So they've been creating this idea that, if you don't have stone countertops, if you don't have 19 bathrooms in the house and at least three theater rooms, your children will become junkies and <laughs> will end up in prison. It's, you know, it's it's do or die there and you will never sell the house. Basically, if it doesn't have 19 bathrooms, it's completely unsaleable. And so, but you know, the, the model of the single family house is really a terrible, terrible model, you know, except for my next door neighbor, a couple of streets down, he's an old guy. He goes out, you know, every Saturday and mows his lawn with little handheld clippers what? and carefully pulls out every weed. So he's getting a lot out of his single family house. Cause that lawn looks like, it's it's just perfect, dude. If I was and, to cut my lawn with with shears with scissors, it better look good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's perfect. You know, every blade of grass. I think he gets a ruler out and measures every one. Is he um, one of those guys that won't let you step on his lawn? I don't know. I've never tried. I'm not Ooh, risking it. You do do, do it. I look like a fool? <laughs> you, you uh, the man has cut his grass with a pair of hand shears. You know he's going to uh, shoot you're, you. You're not living. <laughs> not, not risking it. <laughs> but for everybody else, you know, the most logical thing is some form of community. The biggest issues that we face in the world right now are housing affordability and social isolation. Oh, God, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a suburb up in the north of Perth called Wanneroo. And I was driving through there recently and you don't see any people. It's like a zombie apocalypse because what everybody does is they come home, they mash the remote on their garage and they pull in and they never get out of their cars in the daylight, which means there's no, hey, Bob, how's the kids? You know? Yeah kind of interaction because there are no humans on the street. Our houses are designed to facilitate social isolation. It's true. But Jerry and I have talked about this before on the show where there's so many people, they don't want to talk to someone else. Like I'll be in my yard doing things with my wife or whatever, and I'll wave at a neighbor and I'll be lucky to get a hello. You know, I mean, Because we've kind of been conditioned to. So one of the great examples that I love of having formerly lived in New York City of some kind of accidental architecture that facilitated social connection is the stoop. So (laughs) most of the houses that were built in the sort of from the beginning of the 20th century forward had a even going back earlier 1880s because i lived used to live in a neighborhood that was mostly developed around the 1880s and every house has kind of a half basement so there's a set of maybe 10 steps going up to what is the entrance to the house i think it's because most of new york is on granite so they just didn't want to go down into the, you know, into the subsoil very much because you go down and then you hit fucking granite, which is really hard. <laughs> um, and what this created was all of these front steps. So what had happened is that people would hang out on their stoops in the summer because, of course, no air conditioning in the houses. And, you know, the kids would be playing ball in the street and the parents hang around and drink beer and talk and connect and communicate. So, you know, what we need is more housing that facilitates that connection and is cheaper. You know, so that's the first thing with the passive solar is here in Australia. I don't know what it's like in America in terms of numbers, but. It's estimated the average person spends $1,500 to $2,000 a year on their energy bills. So, and the majority of that is keeping the house at a comfortable temperature. Now, you you know, I mean, there are people that go out for dinner. They spend $2,000 on a bottle of wine, but I don't know any of them. But most people, the... uh, you know, for most people, two thousand dollars a year is a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, when you look and at it, that way, yeah. it, it would. I would assume with the greater cold in America, it would be a lot more. I just don't know the numbers. Uh, so you do I mean, that first of all, and then you create a situation with good design where people can share houses. Um, or share resources. You know, there are, there are communities that are growing up where they have one car. And you kind of put up a roster. Okay, I need the car on Tuesday. I need the car on Thursday. Uh, You know, those work in sort of inner city places. And so there's a uh, an organization here in Australia called the Nightingale Project. And what they do is they bring in philanthropic funds to cover the cost of the building process. And then they give a capped return on that money. So it's, it's a 
philanthropic way of dealing with housing affordability. And then what you do is you get all the people together first who are going to live in this place, who have the money to buy the apartment and you start building that community. And what they found is they would go to people and they would say, okay, if you have one bathroom in your apartment rather than two, it will save you $15,000. If you don't have a carport, it will save you $40,000. And very quickly people go, Oh yeah, one bathroom. We can live with that. You know, 15 grand off the mortgage. I don't know how much that works out to when you pay it over a 25 year mortgage, but it's a lot of money. And then they said, if you don't have a laundry in your apartment, then that'll save you another $15,000. And what they did in these buildings, the Nightingale buildings is that every apartment is the same footprint. So if you knock out the bathroom, you knock out the laundry, you get a bigger living room. And that's suddenly started making sense when, but if you're a developer and you have to sell the product to any person who will come along, then you've already pushed the message that you can't live without a laundry and you can't live without two bathrooms. So, and then, so in this particular one in, in Melbourne, what they did was they put the laundry on the roof. Most of the time, what buildings do is they put the laundry in the basement. Mm. So, you have been bad, you have sinned, and your punishment is to go do the laundry down in the basement in this horrible enclosed space. <laughs> and what they did in Melbourne is they put it up on the roof. And so people started gathering of the evening. They, you know, they have three or four washing machines in there and they hang up on the roof. They run their laundry and drink wine and look out over the city from a four-story building. And now couples are fighting over whose turn it is to do the washing. <laughs> so instead of whose turn it is to not do the washing, um, yeah, it's facilitating connection. And, you know, so Friday night is get the laundry done. Oh, and drink three bottles of wine while you're up there. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> These kind of idea of so that's the other side of housing affordability. What a lot of people are doing is they're they're eliminating the middleman. They're eliminating the um, the property developer and becoming their own property developer by getting a community together. There's a process in Europe called Baugruppen. And that's what they do. In some cities, some seventy-five percent of the houses are designed as bow group, and you get a community together. You decide what that community needs. Maybe you got a bunch of families with kids, so you design the house so it's a you design the apartment block because these are apartment houses up to forty families in them with a central courtyard, so the kids can play in there and be safe. So, so I feel yeah, like we're going in the opposite direction here in America. I was going to say America is just getting more and more segregated. I think we've doubled down on building bigger houses on more private plots of land. Yes. Yeah. And is it working? No, no, no. Actually, <laughs> uh, houses are so incredibly expensive here that there are financial institutions that have recommended non-monogamy. So you have three incomes instead of two. Yeah, you can't yeah, afford yeah. it with one. You can't afford it with two. Well, three people. 
Yeah, just get yeah. Get, get a side piece and be become you know Mormon or something. You'll have three people coming coming uh, into the house with money. I haven't heard that makes a lot of sense, especially with kids. You know, it's yeah. yeah. I mean, you, so there's another process here. There's a a woman named Miriam Salama who's an architect, and she has a project called the Henry Project. And what she does with people is you get a group of maybe three couples together and you buy a house and then renovate the house to turn because there are these this again the size of the houses there are these ridiculous houses you know 400 square meters or something and often they have one person living in them so it was a family home and then all the kids have moved away and there's still, you know, the husband died and there's one woman rattling around in there. So then she dies, thing comes on the market or she finally decides, you know, I'm sick of mowing the lawn and moves into a retirement village, sells out the house. So now you have this massive house. So an example that she gave was they buy a house with $1.2 million, right? That's a lot of money for a house. But then they spend another $300,000 on renovations and turn it into a one-bedroom apartment and then two two-bedroom houses apartments so the renovations is you know put a staircase up out the outside so the upstairs people have their own access put two mini kitchens in and then maybe you leave the downstairs the big living room open plan kitchen kind of thing so that you've got this tiny apartment that you know is just enough room for you and your partner but then when you want to have friends over, you say, oh, you know, Thursday night, I'm having a, a party here. You know, so I'm having 15 friends over. You're welcome to join us. But and then you've got that big common space to use. So that is, you know, what but, you know, the people who are doing these alternatives are mostly like most people in this industry are shithouse at marketing. And so people don't know that they have a choice. So they say, you know, I will never own my own home. Yes. You will never own a 3000 square meter thing that you'll have to rattle around in and you won't be able to find your kids because they're not in the second theater. They're in the third theater and you forgot you had it. Uh, hate it when that happens. Um, <laughs> And, you know, but you could live in a house. So another woman that I spoke to, I love this. She said to me, so this is a couple of years ago. This is about five years back when I was speaking to her. And she said, I can borrow $500,000. That will buy me uh, an apartment in Mosman Park. She was a person who traveled all her life. So she suddenly got to like 40 and said, I don't want to travel anymore. She worked in an industry where she got paid to travel. I can't remember what it was, but now she was finally, I want to be in one place. So $500,000 will get me a unit in an apartment block with meth heads right. in Mosman Park. Oh, that didn't deal. seem attractive to her. Yeah. <laughs> But weird, huh? But <laughs> she said, if I can find two other people that I can live with, then a one point five million dollar house 
used to be a $2.5 million house because this was at the time when the bottom had dropped out of the housing market. So, you know, in one of those crashes, it's the top end that falls the most. The bottom end is always steady because there's always people who need small, cheap houses. But the bottom, the top end had gone from, you know, 2.5 is now 1.5. And in our conversation, people set priorities. In our conversation, she used the phrase ocean views three times. I said, sounds like the most important thing for you is ocean views. So it's like, yeah, by doing this, you know, and, and, yeah, who can afford a $1.5 million house? Nobody I know, but set it up in a, in this kind of way and suddenly ocean views are possible. <laughs> That's a great idea. That's actually, I've heard a lot of people advocate that, that style of housing here in the United States. And we, like, like you just said, they, they're really shit at marketing. And mm. Andy and I have talked about this, I don't even know how many times now. The way you frame something affects everything uh, related to the outcome. We're not framing anything in a positive way for communal type living. It's really, I don't, I don't understand why we're still enjoying the housing style we have now because we're not framing that positively either. It, <laughs> things are pretty negative here in the United States right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, you have these massive marketing budgets that are, you know, you see an article in the newspaper, the pullout section every Sunday is all pictures of what you want to have, what you need to have in order to be happy and fulfilled as a human being is these kind of houses, you know, marble floors, whatever it is. And so that's what people come to believe. You tell a lie often enough, it becomes the truth. And but so people just don't realize or they think, oh, yeah, share house, you know, that's but it doesn't have to be. It's not like a share house where it was an old house that you've got a bunch of bedrooms in and you're all fighting over the kitchen. You know, it can be a house that's designed to have that many people living in it you know, or that's been modified. So you basically have your own space that you live in, except for when you want to be around other people. And that's, you know, as you say, that's really what our role is. And, and you know, and then the, the talking about it is all about echo and green and these kind of things. And nobody's buying a house because it's good for the planet. You know, we're the majority of people, some of my weird hippie friends, but people, it's like the last box they want to tick, you know, does it have 19 bathrooms? Does it have three theaters? Does it have stone bench tops? Oh, and it's made from some material. So it's good for the planet. Yeah. They've ticked all the other boxes, but what we really have to do is talk about how we're solving people's problems. Well, so. I think that, uh, that's a, a perfect way to end the conversation. But before we go and uh, go our separate ways here, Keith, can you tell our audience a little bit about what the Comfortable Home Project is and where they can find uh, basically you and the things that you're working on? So the the way I describe the Comfortable Home Project is we are a marketing company without any clients. Um, 
most of the people who are working in this area are small businesses. They don't have any money to promote this. So I've just decided to do it. I'm working with five university students who are wanting to get experience in marketing. Um, I have a team, which is very exciting <laughs> after years of kind of doing this on my own. And what we are trying to do is as much as possible, get the message out to people that there's an alternative to, I hate that word. There's a better way of doing housing than what is currently on offer, that it's a mature way of doing things and that living in these houses is great. So if somebody's interested in this kind of you know, could they do housing differently? Uh, our website is the comfortable home project. All one word dot com dot au. Got to remember the au on the end. Um, uh, for any of our listeners that are interested in checking out what Keith is working on, uh, we will have a link on the social media posts on the uh, the description under the video or the uh, the podcast episode that we release. And on the website. So, you know, you won't have to remember the dot AU at the end because you'll be able to just click oh, thank on it. God. I don't even remember. And, you know, there is a contact us. So if people have questions off of this and when you put up your social media post, if you tag me into it, um, I'll answer any questions that people have. And yeah, and we'll have fun. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it's been a fantastic conversation, Keith. So I want to thank you for being on the show and look forward to talking to you in the future. If anything else comes up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've, we could do another show, just an entire show talking about housing communities and co-housing and bow group and, and all that. It's another, you know, and it's, it's a, it's a whole nother rabbit hole to go down. That is amazing as a solution to housing affordability and social disconnection so yeah see if you you get bored sometimes let's talk about housing again because <laughs> it's so cool i'm your man cool thanks very much andy and jerry this has been great uh yeah well listeners uh that's it for this week so see you next week yes cool thanks well hopefully you guys enjoyed that one uh it was an interesting episode. I thought it was really cool. Um, you know, it doesn't sound amazing right off the bat, but it was a great conversation. But I enjoy talking to people. So do I. <laughs> if you guys can't tell, Jerry's a little fucked up because he got his second dose of 5G this week. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I got sterilized last night because my fever was so high and I felt like shit. So but it's I'm okay. a little tired. He doesn't want any more children. So who gives a shit? I get my free government sterilization. <laughs> Uh, so anyways thank you again for listening to beautiful bastards podcast please take a few minutes to give us a rating on itunes it's a major part of keeping the wheels greased on this shit show whatever the fuck we don't even know what we're doing here anymore and it helps us keep the lights on so we can keep bringing you new content remember you can listen to us on spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, our website anywhere else you stream your content from and now youtube if you enjoy the show, you can find all our links at Linktree slash Beautiful Bastards. Or you can check out our website, BeautifulBastardsPodcast.com. Frankie, come check us out next week when I'm not dying of my COVID vaccine. 